Welcome to another Sustainable Wine Blog podcast with me, Toby Webb. And I'm delighted that joining me in today's podcast is Bob Lindquist from Cupe Winery here in Southern California. So welcome to the podcast, Bob. Thank you. And, and technically, we're, we, we don't consider ourselves Southern California. We consider ourselves the Central Coast, which is, which is quite a bit different. Uh, there's, a, there's an important weather point called Point Conception, which is just north of Santa Barbara. Everything south of that is is quite a bit warmer. They, they get currents from the south, currents that come up from Mexico, where above that weather point, you know, you get currents that come down from Alaska. And so this this area, this part of California, is is considerably cooler, and and ideal for growing grapes. Well, thanks for the correction. That's <clears throat> fascinating. So a couple of hours south of here is a completely different ballgame than in terms of growing grapes. C- correct. Yeah, very very different climate. Yeah, okay. we're we're. Just <clears throat> for your listeners, we're three hours north of Los Angeles, and that's with no traffic, which there's never no traffic in Los Angeles, but if there's no traffic, we're three hours north, and we're four hours south of San Francisco. Okay, thanks for the, um, the geographical overview. So why here, though, specifically? Because I, I've driven out um, to, to see you. You're quite a long way from from a lot of the other, I suppose, wineries around Olivos and, and so on. Yeah. Why this area? And um, perhaps you can tell us a bit about the, the wines you're making here. Sure, sure. Well, what, our winery is located at, a, at an actually very well-known vineyard called Bien Nacido Vineyard. Uh, we're in the Santa Maria Valley, uh, which is about 15 miles from the ocean. And uh, it just happens to be one of those places that everything works well here. The, the, the key to the vineyards in this area are east-west running mountains and valleys, which is kind of unusual on the, on the west coast. Most of the valleys and, and mountains run north and south, but here we have this kind of place where the, the mountains and valleys took a turn to the west, and so they're kind of like open windows to the ocean. So that's, that's why this area functions as such a cool growing area. And it's also a very dry growing area because of our southern proximity. We don't get a lot of rainfall here, so we have a really long, cool growing season, which is kind of unusual. So that's one of the reasons why you grow Syrah here. It's the reason we can grow Syrah here and, uh, and also Pinot Noir side by side and have them both excel. Uh, normally you wouldn't hear that. Normally you wouldn't hear about those two varieties coexisting and, and being as good as they are, but because we have this long, cool summer, which is ideal for Pinot, and then we have this great... You know, September October period, which allows Syrah to ripen properly, it's it's pretty unusual. So Syrahs, I think the the wine I seem to pick up from you that you 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 love the most that you, that you make. But what else are you making here? Yeah, I also I make a quite a bit of Chardonnay. Santa Barbara County is very well known for Chardonnay, and that's actually what really helps pay the bills. Uh, it, it helps me kind of fuel my Rhone habit because uh, I also make Marsan, Roussan, and Viognier in the white Rhone varieties. And then I make a little bit of Grenache and a small amount of Morved. Uh, the Morved I blend. The Grenache I generally blend, but I also make a small bottling uh, by itself as well. But Syrah is what we hang our hat on. That's about two-thirds of our production. So compared to some of the winemakers I, I interview, you're, you're a bit different in that you, you're growing, you've got some of your own land and some of your own vines and then some other places which you owned and then sold and then buy grapes from. Right. How, how does that work? Right, right. We actually, we, we, we have vineyards that we did own, but we sold them. Um, but we still have tremendous influence over the farming. Uh, the man that we sold the vineyard to, uh, it's a vineyard that we planted in the Edna Valley, the, the wine you tried at lunch. Um, 
farmed biodynamically. Um, and when we sold it to the gentleman who bought it, one of the stipulations was that he would continue to keep it Demeter certified biodynamic and, you know, keep up that type of farming. And he, he was familiar with biodynamic farming, but he wasn't that familiar with it. But now he's like totally sold on, on the concept. And he actually farms two other vineyards down near uh, Lompoc in the Santa Rita Hills area. And he's converted both of them to biodynamics as well. And then, and then our main vineyard uh, that we source grapes from is Bien Nacido, which is where we are right now. And uh, this vineyard uh, practices a lot of organic farming. It's not certified organic. It's, it's what's called SIP certified, which is sustainability in practice. Um, so it's a SIP certified vineyard. Uh, so they do sustainable farming and then some organic farming, and they actually do some biodynamic farming here as well. And what got you into the idea of biodynamics? Because, as some of our listeners will know, it's quite a big leap from, from organic to biodynamic. And people it, often lump yeah. in, you know, <laughs> organic, biodynamic, natural, all in the same bracket. But if you make wine, you know far better than I do that these things are very different. So what got you into biodynamics? It, it is. It, I mean, biodynamics is kind of like organic farming to the, the nth level, if you will. It's, it's, it, it, it's taking it to a... Uh, a, a much higher expression, um, and 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 it's it's it is a, a very viable, uh, great farming method that that a lot is very hard to explain uh, because a lot of it is based on the the lunar calendar and the cosmos and you know kind of the the patterns of the of the Earth and and so it's it, a lot of it is a little bit uh, a little bit wacky but uh, the main thing is that I know it works. I I got into biodynamic farming mostly from a friend of mine who has a vineyard down in, near Los Olivos, just about half an hour south of here, who had experimented with biodynamics and found really good results. And then on a, on a kind of a chance business trip that I took to London uh, in 2005, so I guess 11 years ago, um, I attended a seminar that uh, Andre Ostertag from Alsace and Dominique Lafon from Burgundy were speaking at, and they were speaking specifically about biodynamics. And at that time, uh, Louisa, my wife, and I were planning to plant this vineyard in the Edna Valley. We were trying to decide how to farm it, and they convinced me that if we were thinking about biodynamics, to do that from the very beginning so that we would get the preparations on the ground even before the, the vines were planted, and, uh, we, and so that's what we did. And did the land have to be converted from conventional to organic to then biodynamic? L- luckily not. Luckily not, because it was it was ground that had only been used for um, cattle grazing uh, prior, so there hadn't been any other conventional farming on on that ground uh, prior to us planting the vineyard. And how far do you take biodynamics? I mean, yeah, you know, there's five hundred, and there's five hundred one. There's the cow horn. That, which well, we which seems to me to have a lot of basis in, in science, and you know, with microbacteria and so on. And then Absolutely. you've got the silica spray, which again seems to me to have a, a great basis in science. But you know, how much? Do, so do you do those two things, and, and then we, how much further we do, do you go? All, we do all the preparations, so from 500 up to 508. Mm-hmm. You know, with the two most important being the 500 and the 501. Because a lot and, of people ne- neglect 508, from what I've heard. Yeah. What, what do you think the benefits are there? And actually, yeah. could you explain for our listeners what we mean by five oh eight? Well, it's it's uh, I'd have to get out my cheat sheet with with my notes, but uh, it's you know it's one of the and, and I'm trying to remember which one. It's a tea, sort of tea style preparation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spraying like a liquid compost. The, yeah, I'm trying to remember if that's the one that comes from Valerian. 
I'd have to I'd have to double check. Yeah, but, it's, it's basically you know, taking you know. locally growing kind of herbs and weeds and using right. them as a, 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 a as a as a as a as a spray. Yeah, nettles and you mm-hmm. know to, to spray on the vines, which which helps uh, uh, rid the vine of insects and yeah. and also uh, what we have found is it helps with mildew. Also helps prevent mildew. It's not a, a foolproof method of, of preventing mildew, but it, but it helps. And how about your other uh, vineyards? Then? Are you looking to move towards biodynamics elsewhere, or are you going to keep it as it is? We, we're, I mean, we're not at the moment. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned that Biennacito Vineyard, which is where we are, mm. farms some of their blocks here biodynamically, which, which we encourage them and we, we help them with. Uh, but they, but they're the ones who farm it. So, because of that, you know, we we only have so much influence. And then we have another small vineyard uh, that we lease down in Los Olivos called the Abara Young Vineyard that we farm organically. And we're not farming that biodynamically because there's nobody there on a regular basis to to look after the vineyard. You know, it, it's we have a farming company who looks after it, mm-hmm. but they're not versed. You know completely in biodynamics but they are versed in organic farming so they can do that without much trouble but biodynamic takes it takes a lot of extra effort and um, input from the winemaker from the farmer from the grower and it's it, there's, there's a lot to it and are you lucky around here with the, you know, the, the location geography and so on with pests and so on in that biodynamics might work a bit better here because because of it, the, it your does. location it, it, it uh, there's no doubt about that yeah uh, where we are well california in general has great weather for growing grapes you know i've, I've consulted at, at wineries in southern france and and we we knew that during harvest we would always get some rain we just didn't know you know it was, it was a question of when and how much and most importantly, what the weather would be like right after the rain. Here, we rarely get rain during harvest, so we, we, we have really ideal growing conditions. Um, we're in a drought, which is not good, but from the standpoint of, you know, no, no rot in the vineyards and, and no, no issues with rain during the growing season or during harvest, uh, you know, that's a, that's a little bit of a silver lining for us, you know, with the type of weather we have here, the, the 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 negative part is that we don't get enough rainfall here. We don't get enough water, so so that we have to balance that with, um, you know, and talk about sustainability. You know that we have to figure out ways to uh, manage our water so that we don't overuse and and. and so you're irrigating. Yeah. We we have to irrigate. You have we to irrigate. Yeah, we, yeah, we don't have enough rainfall. No yeah, exactly. Yeah, vines don't need a lot of water, but they need some, mm-hmm. especially when they're young and just getting started. Once they're established, they, they require quite a bit less, but they still need some during the growing season. And I meant to ask you at the beginning of the interview, uh, tell us about the soils here. What, what, what are your vines sitting on? Yeah, yeah, there's a, th- all of this area was uh, underwater, uh, under, you know, in the, in the ocean, you know, relatively not that long ago in, in ge- geologic or geographic or geologic time. But, you know, uh, I mean, it was, you know, millions and millions of years ago. But the soils here are kind of sea-based soils. There's a lot of sand. There's a lot of fossilized material. There's a lot of white, either calcareous rock or dolomitic limestone-type rock. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so you've got it, lots it, of uh, fossilized remains for uh, your vines to exactly, feast on. Exactly. And, and the, the most important thing is that uh, uh, the soil drains really well, which, which vines really require. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so we have good drainage. We don't have a lot of clay. We have some vineyards that have some clay. Uh, it just depends on the site. And let me ask you about climate change. Um, every winemaker I've met says they're very worried about it, um, bar one or two sort of said, mm. <laughs> I haven't really noticed much of a difference, to be honest. But they're, they're kind of bucking the trend. Maybe they're being, being very honest. Yeah. But everyone else I meet is very concerned about it. And, and I, you know, my previous interviews, which listeners can find on the blog, on sustainablewineblog.com, with winemakers at, at Tompier and and uh, and at Grosnore and at um, at other wineries, they're very concerned about about climate change and the harvest moving forward. And then the grapes not ripening properly, and they're concerned about quality. What what sort of concerns do you have around climate change here, Bob? Well, my my, my biggest concern is what's going to happen to to the planet, <laughs> because I think climate change is the biggest issue that we face on on planet Earth, and a lot of people don't uh, don't seem to understand that. But you know, I, I worry about it. Um, I worry about it mostly for my my kids and my grandkids because the the the, the, the real negative effects. Um, you know, sea rising and so forth, or you know, maybe maybe a little bit down the road. But we're noticing differences already. We we had in 2014 we had the warmest vintage ever recorded uh, in Santa Barbara County and also on planet Earth, and that was topped by 2015, which was even warmer than 2014. We harvested much earlier than we ever had before, and then again in 2016 on planet Earth. It's warmer than it was in 2015. It's not quite as warm in 16 here in Santa Barbara County as it was in 15, but it's still warmer than normal. And we're all kind of looking at each other thinking, well, maybe this is the new normal. You know, we used to harvest in September and October. Now we're harvesting in August and September, and maybe that's normal now. But to have that kind of dramatic shift mm. that rapidly uh, is a little bit scary. And do you have concerns about the the way it will affect the taste of the wine. I mean, if grapes are ripening too quickly, that's not good for flavor. That's right. That's right. Uh, what we have, what we have here, we have a very moderate growing season. Um, so even though it's warmer, it's still cooler than most. But uh, but that shift is definitely not good for acidity in in the wine. You know, you you rely on cooler temperatures to to hold your acidity and. And we rely on a, a, a long uh, hang time for flavor development and complexity, and and we're seeing that hang time, you know, start to, to shrink uh, a little bit. But what we're also noticing, even though we're harvesting earlier, we're noticing that our bud break is also earlier. So the, mm -hmm. the length of time that the vines are growing during the growing season is still kind of similar. It's just it's all moved forward in the calendar. It, exactly, which 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 could be very scary uh, in. February and March, if we have bud break, which is when we get bud break, that uh, uh, that we would get you know uh, late season frosts, you know, and, and uh, which would damage the vines. So far, we haven't had you know that issue, but but it, it's probably only a matter of time before we do. And do you see um, more and more concern among your fellow grape farmers and winemakers about using chemicals? Um, you know, we've seen in recent times court cases and protests in France about use of pesticides. I've seen stats saying uh, the Bordeaux wine industry is the largest user of, of, of pesticides in France. Um, there seems to be rising consumer concern about chemicals. I mean, what, right. But I also notice here rising numbers of biodynamic and organic winemakers like, like yourselves. Is there a conversation going on between you all about 
chemicals and their, their safety and, and what you can do about them. There, there is, and I think that's why you see, uh, you, you hear the term sustainability in practice, you know, so much more, and organic farming and biodynamic farming. You know, everybody's concerned about that. Um, and I think that most, you know, winemakers and most growers, you know, want the land to be sustainable. So, you know, who wouldn't? <laughs> in fact, have you ever heard anybody say, that they don't farm sustainably. <laughs> that's the problem, isn't it? Today, everybody is sustainable. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's a yeah. bit of a challenge. Is, is, it, is taking out the wheat from the chaff. Really. Well, well, it is. And, and and once you plant vineyards, you want them to be healthy. You want them to be sustainable. You want them to continue to grow for many, many years. Not just from the standpoint of of, of the quality of what you get, but also from the standpoint of the cost of mm. of, of what it takes to plant and replant and so forth. So. The longer you, you, you get from your vines, the, the, the more cost-effective it is as well. Yeah, but I, so. I suppose most of the wine that uses chemicals more than, than others is bulk wine, sold well, cheaply. Yeah. And, and they might argue that they just can't make wine that cheap without using chemical inputs, I suppose. Well, and, and, and I think that's probably true. Yeah. You know, and, and if, you, if you look at you know, wheat or corn growers in the Midwest, they would probably tell you a similar thing, that they can't grow wheat or corn at the prices that they grow it at without using chemicals and without using, you know, the types of seeds that they're getting from Monsanto and so forth. And, um, but, uh, you know, luckily grape farming is a little bit different than, than and, and especially high-quality coastal vineyard farming. You know, it, we, we can be a little bit more idealistic about how we grow things because we are getting a little bit higher price for our wines and, and uh, you know, hopefully can continue to... To keep that trend up. Bob, thank you so much for your time today. And listeners, if you want to try any of the Coupe's wines, I probably got that pronunciation Coupe, wrong. Yeah. Coupe's wines, I recommend Bob's 2013 Syrah. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's Northern Rhone in, in California. So, uh, highly recommended. Go check that out. You can find them on the internet. Bob, thanks again. You're welcome. Thanks, Toby.